Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, episode number six. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is... The Truffalicious Glenn Sizemore! <laughs> That's the good doctor. I know that voice anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that is the most inside of jokes of inside jokes. No one is going to get that, but I think it's hilarious. Apparently, Glenn likes truffles. That's all I'm going to say. Truffles make everything better. <laughs> everything. <laughs> Sully, how you doing, sir? I am fully recovered. I am back on East Coast time. Really? I have I have caught up, and uh, my email inbox is down to six. Down, wow. Down from almost 500, so it's been a productive couple of days. You want about another 300 emails? <laughs> no, thank you, sir. A I'm, simple I'm forwarder good. rule. I can fix this problem. I can fill it back up. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah, it's funny how every one of my emails last week had the word VMworld in it somewhere, and every one of my emails this week has insight, man. It's all about insight now. You know, speaking of VMworld, Pete, you know, we spent, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff last week. We, yep. we touched on a lot of topics, and, you know, we, we were sitting around at the end of the show, uh, enjoying the party there, there at the ballpark, um, just basically running around eating everything in sight, <laughs> but uh, enjoying the party, and we were kind of talking about what do we wanted to do this week, yeah. um, and, you know, we decided that DevOps was a pretty, it seemed to have a lot of legs at VMworld. Oh, yeah. Which, which kind of caught me a little bit off guard. I wasn't quite ready for that. I wasn't, I particularly wasn't ready for, I don't even know what to call that thing VMware did, but they just kind of, what seemed like last minute, got a whole bunch of people lined up to come in and just kind of talk about DevOps for, for an entire week. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I'm yeah. still trying to chew through that backlog of, of video content. But, you know, we figured, well, you know, this is something that, that we've been working on pretty extensively here. Yep. Uh, Andrew, through his work on the containers team, happens to, to have a relationship with the individual internally who's uh, kind of driving this fight for us. So we, we reached out, sent a couple of emails, and, you know, here we are today. Let's get into it. I know. I'm excited. That's awesome. All right. Well, joining us today is technical director at NetApp, focusing on SIFs, Garrett Mueller. Garrett, how you doing, sir? Excellent. Thank you. It's funny. We're talking about DevOps today, but we bring in the SIFs TD. How does that work? Well, well, he's not just the SIFs TD, <laughs> right? So, so Garrett, why, why don't we start with just a real quick, like, what is a technical director at NetApp? I know this is a question that every TD hates answering because there's no clear answer, but <laughs> give us your opinion. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because even internally, we talk about ourselves as these unique snowflakes, right? Um, so yeah, so every, every part of the organization tends to have one, especially on the engineering side, and uh, although there are some in the solution side as well. On the product ops side, where I happen to sit, we generally, generally focus on uh, engineering roles, so features and functionality specific to a particular product. So in my, in my particular case, I'm talking about SIFs, so Windows file sharing for data on tap, but also I'm responsible for you know all of the Windows environs that data on tap tends to sit into. So it's uh, things like that we would use for Active Directory. So Active Directory integration, yep. you know, Kerberos, LDAP, NIST and name services, all those kinds of things also fall under my umbrella. And, and, and someone looked around and said, well, that guy doesn't look busy. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, why don't you go ahead and figure out containers and DevOps? <laughs> well, not exactly. As these things tend to happen, um, you, you, you complain about something often enough, ah, you yes. end up being responsible for it. Uh, and so, so DevOps or, uh, or maybe... Uh, 
development efficiency inside of NetApp, especially in the data ONTAP group, uh, fell into my lap when we were moving from a place where we had lots of different development branches and we were evolving into this space where there were, uh, it, it just became very hard to manage what yeah. we were trying to do. I mean, there was a lot of good ideas, a lot of good reasons to breaking it, breaking it out that way so that we could kind of have our own sandboxes that were protected and that we would all try to roll it back together. We had some crazy stories about how we went far down that path and tried to get back into a single place again before the end of a release. And we did that one time and then it was, it was so scary. <laughs> we decided that was not the right approach, but we didn't have another one. So, um, I, I formed a small team to kind of go figure that out, right? And uh, at the same time, I was working with another guy here, uh, Phil Ezold, uh, who happens to be looking at a lot of, he's our kind of our DevOps guy, really. I mean, our, okay. our, our part of our DevOps team internally that is trying to figure out how to make developers more efficient, but also how to figure out how to make our testing more efficient. And uh, he was experimenting with this revert concept. And tell me when I'm going too deep. Hmm. But uh, the idea was that... Uh, Rather than the usual focus where we try to, we're making a change for ONTAP, you know, some developer, individual developers making a change, and they want to test that the hell out of that change before it comes out, right? Yeah. Um, and then you want to do that with every other change that's happening at the same time, and that's hundreds of changes a day, right? Uh, what people tend to want to do at first is I want to test I want all of my tests that I can automate to run against all of those changes individually before I submit them so that the code line is clean yeah. right when it comes in, which is fine in a smaller environment. As soon as you get to anywhere near our scale, we can't scale the test infrastructure to be able to do that, right? Mm. Uh, so, so Phil had this awesome idea uh, to basically use uh, integration with Git to it gets bisect capability. Okay. To then figure out... Uh, we could use that to figure out, based on, a, on, on a, a small lump of changes, which one was causing a problem by bisecting out those changes and running large swaths of tests against, against those changes, then figuring out where the problem was. And so what we did is we put a bunch of tooling in place. This is not just Phil and I, but this is a small team of people that yeah. put together this awesome infrastructure that we have right now where you can actually submit an ONTAP change. Within the submission, after you submit that change, hundreds of hours of tests actually run against a lump of changes, usually about 10, 15 changes within a three-hour period, 20, 20 changes. And uh, if there any single one of those tests break through maths, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're able to figure out you know, which one uh, is, caused the change and then actually revert that change, kick it out. Oh, really? Yeah. And so okay. everything else continues operating just fine. And, and for the most part, I mean, the, the for in for our purposes, less than one and a half percent of changes end up getting kicked out. So for the most part, you're just screaming right along. Everybody continues to be able to work. You haven't broken anybody else's workflows. And the way we the way we encourage people to write these tests is you're protecting yourself. Yeah, right? you're protecting your, you and your team with and your functionality by putting this into this automation environment. And so nobody can make your stuff break because we'll kick them out. And that's. That, I mean, that's a huge DevOps win for us in a way. I mean, we don't go all the way to the continuous delivery part of it, yeah. right? But we do go to the continuous integration part this way. And that's, this is how we turn data on top quality on its head, basically, right? We, we have quality all the time because we can prove it. Yeah, so so maybe this is a good place for us to take a step back yeah. um, because I just nerded way out. And you did, and you did not go too deep, sir. That's exactly <laughs> okay. the level that we're looking for. Um, but, but yeah, we, we should probably do a level set here, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. That, I was like, ooh, we just dove real deep. Hold on. 
I wanted to start by asking, what the hell is DevOps? <laughs> right. We can stitch that in later. Just gonna, <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, seriously, I've, I've re- obviously I know what DevOps is, but I've, I've, you, know, you read online, there are several different definitions. Actually, there are different schools of thought. And so I'm very curious. Uh, Andrew, you, obviously, you're, you're heavily focused. I think you were even hired for DevOps. But I think uh, between the two of you, I'd love to hear your definitions for DevOps. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, sure, we can say that I was hired for DevOps. Um, in, in reality, my focus has primarily been automation. And there's kind of two sides of that, right? So there's kind of the, the infrastructure DevOps side of things, and then there's the developer side of DevOps. Uh, so my focus historically has been on infrastructure automation, right? So sometimes you'll hear it called infrastructure as code, right? How can I make my hardware conform to the configuration that I know it should be, that I want it to be, right? And this is where things like Chef and Puppet and Ansible and all of those other things. Yeah, that's where all of those things came from. And then you have the developer side of things, which is what Garrett was just talking about, where it's, okay, I've produced code. Now I need it to go forward and, and do all of these things for me as in an automated fashion as possible. And eventually you have the two merge sometimes, right, depending on the organization and the product and all that, where, okay, my infrastructure is running, my infrastructure is automated, it, it handles all that for me, my code is automated, so I write code, it builds, it tests, it does all those other things, and then they merge into deploying in an automated fashion. Okay. Garrett? Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, really, it comes down to automation. It comes down to... You know, I am developing in an environment that is closely resembles the environment that I'm going to be running in, and it may not even be necessarily the exact same environment. I might have even my own development environment set up in such a way that I ca- it's consistent for my purposes, but I'm actually pushing out to something else that then takes off on its own, right? So then you actually you know develop this application on the side, you push out a version of it, uh, you you have it run through its tests. I mean, this is a pretty a pretty common. Uh, mechanism is to have your development code you have your code and your development done in, in one place you move it to a kind of a staging environment or a test environment unit test and then you move it on into production you know and really what you tend to realize is that once you've got the process down yeah you can actually really increase the pace at which you do that and that's where devops really starts to pick up where it really starts to make a difference is you can actually go from an individual change to something running in production because you've tweaked all those knobs and yeah. you know where your problem areas are right uh to 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 11 effect, effectively right i mean you, you this is what kind of what ebay does i mean they're, they they get talked about a lot because they can actually push out 30 plus changes a day to their live website yep right that's a very common example right uh for us internally at netapp right i mean we're not going to have the same kind of uh, continuous delivery model for data on tap right because we're not running an external service per se uh on on tap i mean the closest we might be able to get is maybe pushing new images of data on tap into our it infrastructure i mean we don't currently go all the way that far uh, we have stage processes of, of releases where we go to like what we call our customer zero. I think you guys have talked about this. In the yeah, podcast a little bit. Before. Uh, you know, a customer zero stuff, and you go to, the, to NetApp IT and things like that. That's our customer one, so to speak. But uh, we're always looking at ways that we could possibly ramp that up, right? And uh, this is the way that we start doing it. Some well, of the stuff I was talking about. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm actually going to give us a total pass here. You know, if if we were to if we attempted to drop 30 versions of ONTAP a day, <laughs> our customers would just look at us and go, you guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not touching any of this. I don't right. want that, right? Yeah, r- realistically, mm. the 
you know, based on, on my own interactions with our customers, you know, the, the absolute fastest cadence that they would ever, ever want to see mm-hmm. is maybe like every other month. Right, six releases a year, and that would be just unbelievably blinding fast for them because we're infrastructure, we're the persistence tier. We sit underneath all that stuff that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? They, they just don't need to iterate that very that fast. That's not, it, it's not the direct value to to their endpoints. It's a value to them that allows them to provide that service. But Agreed. you know, it's just not needed for what we do. Yeah. So I would uh, I, I completely agree with with what uh, you two gentlemen touched on. Um, that I, I actually think that is the the physicals. Like okay, so you want to do DevOps, right? Um, I was joking with uh, my my friend Luke Deckins, uh, who's a very famous uh, VMware automation guy. We were joking over the weekend that uh, you know there's no such thing as a DevOps engineer, and anyone who introduces them as such, uh, you should run away screaming in the <laughs> other direction. Right? That's a job that doesn't exist. Mm. Um, because it, it is very much a way of doing IT. It is not a job title. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and the, for, for the people who are, are really interested in this, you can go down the, the, the rabbit hole of history. You know, it all started with uh, lean manufacturing and the Toyota production system, and then that being morphed into the IT world in, in development form, something that, that, that na- is now known as Agile. Uh, DevOps is just taking Agile all the way from idea to payment and putting that into one big-ass pipeline with however many people it, it, it takes um, so that you're, at the end of the day, you have a salesperson that says, hey, if we had this widget, I could sell a lot of those. And then you have a group of people, you know, whatever that process is, that goes from that initial thought all the way through at whatever has to get done to the point where you collect money. And all of those steps in between is, is, is what is commonly known as an IT service pipeline, right? And the, the idea of DevOps is to automate and document that entire pipeline so that you can shorten your delivery cycle, whatever it is, right? Maybe, maybe your first cycle's 18 months because you're still doing waterfall, your traditional IT shop, you're just like everyone else out there. And right now, that's your cycle time. But go through it once. Your second time, you're probably going to be closer to eight, nine months, right? Your third time, you'll be closer to three months. And then eventually, you can get to a point where you're eBay and you're deploying 30 times a day. And now you truly can move with the speed of business. As fast as somebody can think of something, that's as fast as you can implement it. Yeah. So we're talking about the fact that it's an idea, right? To be, it's this idea of automation and developers working with operations folks together to to actually create DevOps. Is it more than is? I know there's several software. You mentioned a ton of different types of software. Is it is it also more of a process? Like, do you follow a very specific process? Is there like test dev? Is there something specific that that is generally known, or is it made up by each organization? Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be unique to each organization. Um, so the development cycle itself is going to be fairly common, right? Dev, test, QA, prod, and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, however, the actual implementation of right, quote-unquote DevOps is very unique because it's going to the definition is going to change for everybody. You know, some people use uh, a Jenkins, right? Some people use a different tool, and and no no one tool or one set of tools defines DevOps. It's whatever works for your organization. Yeah, right. It's the tool chain, right? I mean, it's really it comes down to everybody has different tool chains. Even within large organizations, you have many different tool chains within the same organization that you have to deal with, right? And going to what Glenn was saying, what you're discovering the first few times you do that is all the friction points, right? Yeah. And so you're, what you're trying to figure out is how do I automate around those friction points? Some of them are 
necessary human interaction friction points that you have. So a lot of them are systems. Or you know, for just a, a, a one one easy example is, in order to me do, for me to do my testing, I need a VM. Sure. So maybe the first way you do that is I have a. I have an internal organization that provides me VMs so that I get to a point in my process where I, I know I needed to start doing the testing. Then I make a request to get a VM. <laughs> it takes me three weeks to get it because of whatever <laughs> process is in place. Right? Yeah. And, and, and then you have that, and then you lose it three times because they pull it back. Before, you know, they don't give you a, 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 a one in perpetuity. You just get one for a couple of weeks, and then you lose it. And then you figure out that's not working for me. So instead, what we'll have is a process where you know I get that for longer. Then the you know maybe the third step is I am actually going to send you an API from a you know a, a system that's actually going to ask for a VM and get it instantaneously, and then I get it for as long as I need that kind of thing, right? So you're evolving the process that you have internally in order to give you a faster you know delivery cycle. That's a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the reality is, and and this is why. You know, personally, for me, this is one of those topics that just make my head explode most of the time when it's discussed publicly, um, because most of the time it's used in conjunction with a sales pitch. And you know, we, we keep talking about tooling and automation, and and I agree that that these are the tools. This is how you actually man. This is how you actually accomplish it. But the process is where all the change actually incurs. Like if if however you're doing business today, if you want to switch over to doing it the quote unquote DevOps way. The thing that will change, guaranteed, is the process by which you complete work. You may or may not change your tools. You may be a fully automated shop today. You may be you, you could have you know Chef fully deployed in your desired state uh, endpoints, and and you're just completely zero touch. But yet there are physical gates where human beings have to jump in and do something to get from that one stage to the next stage. And, and for those reasons, technically, you're not actually doing it, right? You don't have a, a continuous chain that automatically just moves work down the line. So but, I, I guess, so here, here's what I'm, I'm wanting to say. DevOps is not, at least from my perspective, right? DevOps is not a single, necessarily a single workflow, right? It could be the result of an infrastructure team that is wanting to continuously improve just their infrastructure. Right. It could be the result of an application development team that is wanting to fix bugs faster. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be all of those things in one, and it doesn't necessarily have to be any single set of tools. Agreed. Right. It, it can be it's really going to be up to up to the individual and up to the organization. Right. I, I started learning uh, accidentally learning about DevOps from ITIL. Right. We had this massive giant pain in the rear com uh, CMDB, right? The mythical CMDB back in ITIL oh, yeah. version 2 that doesn't actually exist and probably never will. But it was one of those things where, okay, we have to keep up with change management. Right? How do you authoritatively determine what the configuration of a system should be? And this is one of the things that, that bothers me about many of the request management systems. Right, it's one thing to go into a, an automation system. Doesn't matter who it's from, VMware, Microsoft, yeah. and and click a button that says, "Okay, provision a volume." Great, my volume got provisioned. Now go back into that system tomorrow. Is that volume still supposed to be there? Is it still there? How do I know it's still there? Yeah. Right. You can see the request, but oftentimes those systems are disparate. Right. The the help desk ticket system or that provisioning system are not the same thing as that whatever is actually executing that automation. So how yep. do you remediate the two? And frequently it's those that tool set, and it doesn't matter which one you use, it can be a custom homegrown one, right? helps to manage that complexity. You know, maybe that's that's an even easier way of putting it. Perhaps I've just done too much reading on this nonsense and am overcomplicating it. But 
you know, if I go back to the days when you and I were studying to be ITIL practitioners and we were all, you know, I'm going to be the change control guy, right? And we were trying to be all, so like, lame. read up and, and, and hip to, you know, I, I told you, man, my background's a real deal ops guy, right? I'm used to, I'm used to running production-ass production, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's, that's where all my life experience comes from. And there was a long period of time where that world was all about documentation and change control and, you know, we have to be safe. We need to ensure that before we make this change in production, that there's no possible way it can break it. DevOps flips that on its head and says, it doesn't matter if you break it. As long as you can change it again fast enough, right, progress is more important than perfection. It's okay to make mistakes. The, the, the thing to focus on is the rate at which you are capable of change because that's the, the rate at which the business is going to be able to iterate. Right. If if the operations team can only make one change a quarter, which is the rate at which we were functioning when we were at this this location. Okay, so yes, every change we made work, but but once a quarter, that's how often you can change something. That's not very fast. No. Right? And and realistically, if you if you missed a change window, you were looking at eight months before something got done. Right? That doesn't fly in 2015. You know, that, that will never work for eBay or any of our customers, right? They, they can't get away with that. So that it's, it's just a different way of looking at it. It's looking at it and going, okay, well, we, we focused on the wrong metric. It's not about, it, it is about quality, but, but not quality for quality's sake. It, it's, it's about results, it's about actually achieving the goal, which ultimately is change. While I'm having ITIL flashbacks, KPIs, not metrics, KPIs. Yes, yes, yes you're right. Yeah, bingo. You want to define that acronym? I'm going to have nightmares about (laughs) key performance indicators. There you go. How do we track this? And what do we need to do to do this? And how how come you haven't done this? And yeah. Well, I think the other thing that has changed is, or the thing that has allowed that to happen more readily than it could have maybe five, six years ago, is the scale at which we're able to verify that what we have done hasn't broken anything that we expect to work, right? Um, And the different tools and capabilities that have come out to allow us to do that, right? I'm... About, about that time, I mean, in order for us to test a build of ONTAP, it was like, I have to go get a physical filer somewhere, Yeah. right? I have to go reserve that. I have to go bring up my build on that. I have to forget to do that <laughs> sometimes, right? <laughs> and then you can end up in, in in this kind of slop for a while where you, you feel like everything is kind of working because you're not the one that's using whatever you just broke, yeah. right? And now we're in a place where we're testing the hell out of everything, every minute, right? And it's really hard to break something even unintentionally. And that's how you get to a place where you can deploy 30 times a day or more because you have, you're not trusting that nobody broke anything. You are proving that it works. Well, well that, that's a good transition because we started this conversation diving into sort of how you as the technical director of SIFS got into the DevOps. So yeah. let's transition into how now that you are focusing on DevOps, how NetApp is benefiting from that, and what are some of the tools we're using, and, and, and how are you guys actually making DevOps uh, useful at NetApp? Sure, I guess there's multiple uh, directions. Well, I, I can point out one very tangible one that as of today, right? Today, cluster data on type 8.3.1 went GA, right? I don't know how many people know of the RC to GA process at NetApp, but it's based solely on BERTs. Yeah. Right. How many bugs are generated? And I think 8.3.1 was only an RC for three or four weeks. It was some ridiculously short period, right? And a lot of that is a result of the work that that exactly Garrett's talking about, right? We are able to much more frequently, much more rapidly test 
the, th- the code changes that are happening. Yeah, you can actually see it probably as a customer as well. If Our 8.2 release was developed in that first way I was talking about with many, many different branches and they all yeah. kind of came together at the end. And, yeah. you know, and we, and we did, t- of course, we tested the hell out of that thing. Um, 8.3 was developed in the new way. And, and and we we saw the quality difference from the very beginning of that release all the way through to the end and and continuing to today right uh, so it, it's been very real for us yeah that, I was I was afraid to ask because I was afraid I wouldn't like the answer but 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 now that we've put that out there that yeah. that's kind of what I thought you were gonna say because if we go back to eight dot two right I mean we went through two or three RCs it took us a while to get that thing to the point where we were like okay we're ready mm-hmm. um, with eight dot three. It just came out, and then a month later, it was like, okay, we're done. Um, now we're on 831. Moving Ship forward. It. Let's yep. go. Keep yep. it going. Right. Uh, and around here, you know, 831, done. GA. Well, I, the people I talk to, they've already moved on. <laughs> they're on the next train, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're marching towards that. So it's, it's almost, in, in less than a calendar year, the entire culture around engineering, the, the, the on-tap engineering team, those thousands upon thousands of rock stars that actually make this thing go, they're, they've just turned it up to 11, and they're getting stuff done at a rate that I've never seen in my career, not, mm-hmm. not associated with NetApp. Yep. It's very impressive. So definitely for testing for, for ONTAP releases, any other places where we're using it? Yeah, uh, so one of the things I wanted to make mention of is, is a tool that we have internally created leveraging NetApp's own technology, FlexClone technology, known as CodeEasy. And I think this is one of those things that it's it's the culmination of a number of different things. So, and Garrett, please jump in at any time, right? And correct me if I say anything wrong. It started out because you know ONTAP is a massive code base. I mean, literally, we're talking about an entire operating system encompassed inside of, of yeah, the code base. At and least one. Yeah, and and just coming in and doing a, a you know a P force a perforce checkout, right? Even if nothing has changed, takes something like an hour or 80 minutes, something like that. And just just to validate all the files. So that's a lot of time that developers are sitting around, I don't know, redditing, surfing YouTube, drinking coffee, as opposed to actually, you know, being productive. Yeah. Uh, so there was a small team inside of NetApp that produced something called Bam Bam, which was essentially the first version of CodeEasy, where it flex clones off a volume that contains the code tree. And that volume is created through, well, a continuous integration process. Right? It's constantly moving in the background to check out code, to build code, to test code, and then make it available to developers. CodeEasy, the next iteration of that, effectively simplifies the provisioning and management of that. So now it's it's a simple command line because they, they do the development from a, a command line. Uh, but it's a command line call to say, I need to provision a new environment. And it goes, it flex clones the volume, it repermissions it, and it takes about two minutes. Right. So going from 80 minutes to two minutes for developer productivity is pretty huge. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and this is one of those things, right, where we got to be a little bit careful because, you know, we are a storage company that, are, that produces a storage operating system. That is a very different problem set than the vast majority of our customers. But I can tell you that I've talked to, you know, probably 20 or 30 shops over the past 24 months where, you know, we were able to take uh, the simple concepts like what we implemented with NetApp Demo Cloud uh, and... and you know, Snap Manager for SQL, Snap Manager for Oracle, and and go in and and show these guys. You know, hey, look, do you do in-house development? Yes. What's your database backend? Uh, SQL. Do you actually do SQL development, or is it all just front-end code? Oh no, we do SQL development. You have DBAs. Fantastic. What's their cycle time when they need to get an environment? Right. 
oh, well, you know, we do a full data dump to, to our, our, our disk target, and then we run a full restore. You know, it takes us about four hours. Okay, well, what would you do if I told you that we've got a tool that could do that in about three minutes? And what if you could schedule that so that it just had a fresh environment ready, you know, every hour on the hour? Does that sound appealing, right? That's, that's the kind of value that, that, that our extended portfolio of products provides, but it's the same thing, right? It's all about keeping people productive. doesn't mean they have to work 24 hours a day. You actually don't want that. You don't want people working too much. They, they, their productivity goes down. They become less effective. Sure. Um, but, but what you do want to do is remove all that downtime where they're just sitting there watching a progress bar, getting frustrated because they got an idea in their head and they think they know how to do it, yep. but they can't try it yet because the environment's not ready. And 17 seconds later, or however, however long it actually is based yeah. on the studies, right? They've forgotten the context switch is, has happened and they're and they're lost and they forgot what they've done what they wanted to do. And yeah, because yeah, in about that time, Justin Parisi's already written a blog. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, but 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 that's the problem, right? And and yeah. that's that's what continuous integration in particular is trying to overcome. We're trying to get those cycle times down to as close to zero as possible, so that you know when when the muse shows up, right? Whether you believe in this nonsense or not, right? There's some people who believe that, that little muses float in and give you inspiration, right? And your job is to show up and try, and they will decide whether or not they want to show up. I happen to think that some days you have good ideas, other days you have bad ideas. I'll go with but that. That's awful archy, uh, artsy for an uh, audience of engineers. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, this is a really good TED Talk on it, by the way, if, if you're into this sort of stuff. But, but never mind, uh, when the muse shows up, are you ready to actually get work done? Or are you going to be stopped? Are you going to be blocked? Is there something that's preventing you from finding that next innovative idea? And, and that's really what this is all about. Let's get rid of all that friction so that... Smart people can do smart things and instead of, you know, being hamstrung by process and people and technology. Yep. I love it. There's actually a little bit on the code easy thing that I wanted to add that uh, is, is pretty interesting, too. So you talked about getting the code from the perforce server in this case and pulling it down into the workspace and that how long that actually takes. The other really big time sink is how long it takes to take that code and produce an ONTAP build. And so that's actually in our massively parallel uh multi-site build farm system, uh, it, t- it takes upwards of like two and a half hours to build all of that, right? And that's parallel jobs all running, you know, yeah. as parallel as they can be. Um, what the other thing CodeEasy does in addition to getting you, you know, the, uh, the the source is it actually gives you the built objects as well. So in that three minutes-ish that you that you get your, your source tree, you actually have a pre-built version of that operating system as well. And if you make a minor change and you want to rebuild that, you're only building that little bit. Hmm. You don't actually have to rebuild the whole thing. And if you want to run it right from what you just pulled down, you can just run it right away because you've already got the bits. So it's it's a huge benefit, not just on the front end, but on the back end, too. And so your two-and-a-half-hour builds go down to a few minutes That's or less. pretty impressive. Uh, Andrew, why don't you kind of walk us through how, how some of these other projects tie back into our DevOps efforts? Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that, that kind of stemmed out of that was a lot of our containers, initial containers work. Uh, so part of it, I, I lay at serendipity, right? Uh, Garrett happens to sit very close to Rippy. Uh, Rippy was one of our very early containers adopters and a, a fantastic evangelist for all of that. And he simply talked about it uh, uh, enough and loudly, loudly enough, 
you know, maybe he should be a TME. You know, he's good at good at talking and talking loudly. He is, uh, he is, but he's yeah. also really good at writing code. All right, yeah. fair enough. He is a fantastic developer. So <laughs> he's a DevOp. But uh, you know, Garrett <laughs> Garrett came out of his TD shell, and uh, it kind of spawned into this. You know, how do we integrate with containers? And uh, it just so happened again through a bit of serendipity that Reapy and I knew each other, and I got brought in to. Uh, the team that that Garrett was forming. So yeah, it, it's it's been fantastic. We've been driving a lot of different things that are happening. Um, you know, I'll, I'll certainly let Garrett talk about that uh, because there's there's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes, and a lot of it is being led by by Garrett and simply the work that he has already done, the work that he has experienced with, and how we can translate that and say, hey, you see all this stuff that we've done, we can make it even better. That's that's the one thing I love about TDs inside NetApp. Yes. They, their, their official job is just head in this direction and tear stuff up. <laughs> just get get stuff done. Just just we want you moving in this general direction. We don't really care how you get there. Just get stuff done. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually been great, right? I mean, all of the experience that I've had has kind of culminated into this in a way, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, my ONTAP experience has helped me in a, in, a, in a very big way understand the problems that were there in order to help solve them with the you know developer experience stuff that I worked with. And I, I ran this whole uh, internal team called the... Uh, uh, the modularity and productivity pat, which is this, uh, it's just a team of people that have like interests. They, in other words, they, they have responsibilities and scope for different areas. In this, in this case, it was developer productivity. Yeah. And, uh, and I ran that and basically all of my experience led up to that. And then it, it allowed us to build a kind of developer driven roadmap to developer productivity. Whereas before what we had was a set of managers, uh, you know, generally directors of, of that nature who had good intentions, but uh, didn't necessarily live in that world. So they were trying to evolve the process more towards how they saw it rather than how it was. Right. And so we kind of took control of that and started developing things like the new branching model, things like uh, we have lots of other new capabilities that we've introduced in order to make things easier for people to do as developers and as test engineers internally. Um, what that helped me do, understanding those things, was understanding the process problems, right? The the things that get in the way that aren't tools necessarily like you were talking about. They're right. not necessarily the uh, they're not necessarily things I can go buy off a shelf somewhere yeah. or pull together from open source code and solve some kind of a problem. A lot of times it's people and friction, right, that you have to deal with that has to do with long-standing processes that may or may not have meaning anymore, right? Um, or, you know, could be, uh, you know, significantly improved. And so we, we started going down that process. And uh, that has led to a lot, you know, the, the continuous integration innovations and things of that nature. Naturally, you start thinking about containers, especially the way that people tend to use containers when they first start out. And you're, you're improving efficiency. You're doing all the yeah. things that you want to do here. And uh, so, so naturally... I understood the kinds of problems we were trying to solve and then look at containers and go, oh, well, if we had just this, we could do this even better. Right, right? more so, efficient. So you're making the process more efficient, but also the, the, the infrastructure as well. I think right. it's well, twofold, and right? So that's what Barnacle, and that's where Barnacle is great, and is basically we're trying to build both parts of this, you know, we're putting the whole equation together, right? It's not just about how can we build... Uh, container-integrated products. How can we build products with containers? We're doing that, too. Yeah. But the other thing is, how do we actually use containers internally in order to improve our own processes? How do yeah. we explain to everybody what containers are even about, right, and all, all that kind of stuff? So we're covering all the angles. And that's really the only way you can do it with some kind of, with, with technology that is as nascent as this is, but as, as explosive in growth. 
And I spend, you know, I spend a good chunk of my time just doing presentations on, you know, an introduction introduction to containers, you know, what the benefits are, how they can be used. And I do that not only with our field personnel, right, educating, you know, our people that are customer facing so that, hey, here's things that you want to listen for when the customer talks about this. This is what they're talking about. And, you know, hey, feel free to reach back to us and let us know how customers are using containers because we want to help them with that. We want to participate in that process. But we also spend a lot of time talking with our own development teams, right? And, you know, hey, guys, I see how you're doing this, and I understand that that works, but what if you could do it faster, right? What if, what if instead of taking, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, it could take 15 or 20 seconds to get that stood up? Making things like testing easier, right? There's, there's a lot of, you know, regression testing and things of like that that are very version dependent. And having something as simple as a container that has a, a version self-contained oh, yeah. means that... We no longer have to maintain an entirely separate server or virtual machine, right, for testing that particular version. Instead, it's a container that can be spun up anywhere for that that testing to happen. Exactly. Yeah. To tie back into something you mentioned, Garrett, uh, just because I wanted to reinforce it, I thought it was a great point um, and, and something you were asking, Pete. Um, it's it's not technology for technology's sake, right? It's it's bringing technology in, no matter how how infantile <laughs> it may or may not be. Uh, it can solve a very specific problem, and and that's what the focus is on, right? What's the constraint? What's the bottleneck? What's what's preventing you from getting more done? Where's your pain, right? Sometimes that pain is something technology-related, right? Yep. It takes long for this action to happen. There's a data copy involved, so it takes forever, right? You know, it's a good opportunity to look at, well, maybe we can bring some array-based cloning into that, and, and we can offload those performance, or, or we can help remove that bottleneck. It may be a people or process problem, you know, that, that, that layer 8 politics type deal where, where yeah. you know, the problem is, you know, do you really need this person's approval? Are they really required for you to move on to the next step? Or as you were saying, is that something that just that's the way we do it, right? And, and it's evaluating all of that stuff with the sole focus of let's 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 unleash these people. We you you hire smart people for a reason, right? Get, get out of their way and let them be smart. Yeah, and the thing is is once you start figuring out, you start even thinking about that problem, right? Not even solving anything yet. Yeah. You're realizing what the process is and then you're defining it for the first time often ever, yeah. right? It's because it grows organically over time, right? And then you can start looking at ways you can tweak it, right? And then you, once you start tweaking it, you realize, oh, I didn't even need that to begin with. Right. Or, you know, there's a simple, you know, maybe there is a software solution for that or, or whatever, right? But there's ways to get to a much faster, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be surprised how quickly you go from, I don't even understand what the process is once you start thinking about this to I can, optimize the hell out of this process and reduce the time from A to Z substantially and remove several letters in between, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you guys have done this with ONTAP. We've got the code easy and, and all that. Are you? I know you said you want to evangelize this internally. So mm. how's that working? I mean, because we have a lot of other software you know, companies inside of NetApp, you know, with different products, the whole Snap Manager group and all that stuff. So how's that working? I mean, are you evangelizing to other teams? Because it seems like the right decision. We absolutely are. One one real quick example of that is the fact that Rippy's on our team. So Rippy is not an ONTAP developer. He's yeah. what we call an OFTAP developer, right? He's on a Snap developer. Uh, so the beauty is, even though we have a relatively small team, we actually have representation from lots of different places, right? I mean, Sully 
is a fantastic VMware, you know, evangelist, right? I mean, he's just like, he's he's this guy that has been around for for a long time in that space, and he understands that very well, and he can he can give us that point of view, right? And then we've got the off tap kind of snap point of view from Rippy very easily. Yeah. We've got lots of different key players that have great experience that is not shared by other people on the team. Wait, Sully, you work on VMware stuff? Occasionally uh, these days. Uh, less I had and no le- idea. Less and less, less if I have my way. <laughs> yes, less and less as time goes on. I think it's less and less if he has his way as well. Trader. <laughs> awesome. But I just want to I, I want to do a shout out on, on the podcast if I can for Sully. He's been doing a fantastic job for our team and I don't want that to go unnoticed. Um, he just went to VMware with the rest of you guys last week, or VMworld last week with the rest of you. Oh, and yeah. and uh, we've been, been getting nothing but high praise for any time he stands in front of a large group of people or even a small group of people and describes what we're doing. Yeah. You know, he's he's invaluable to this to this effort. And uh, I know we make fun of him a lot, but <laughs> he's he, he is fantastic, and uh, we were li- really lucky to have him. So one, I probably deserve all the being made fun of. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah, be no, 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 hold here. on, hold yeah, on. Before, before you get to respond, I agree with everything you just said, Garrett. The only question is, could they hear what he said? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he talking into the microphone, and could uh, he actually be heard? Because if he could, he kills it. <laughs> He's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Total side oh, note. Oh, I thought here. you meant me. You meant him. Okay, yeah. no, all right. Total no, side so note. <laughs> we, were, we were at VMworld. <laughs> Total side note, we're at VMworld, and everybody's going through the introductions for the whole team, and they're passing a mic around, and it gets to Sully. And he's, of course, the microphone is like three feet from his mouth, and he's like, Hi, so I'm Sully, and I work for this thing. And and Glenn's yelling, Put the mic in your face! (laughs) Every week we go through this. Every week. Oh, it was great. But yeah, when you hear him, he's got a lot of good stuff to say. I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, he just actually did a, a, a talk in front of about 100 of our uh, of our SEs last week on Friday, and I think they were all blown away. Well, now that I am completely blushing, uh, <laughs> I, I will say uh, two things. One, I deserve all the getting made fun of because, yeah, Glenn can attest. Uh, anyways, and the, the second one of those is, uh, and I told, I've, I've told all of my VMware you know, the people that I work with inside of the VMware ecosystem here at NetApp, but uh, it, it takes a team, right? We, oh, yeah. re- we rely on our solutions marketing people. We rely heavily on our engineering guys and, you know, people like Garrett, people like Rippy, people like Jared, and uh, just everybody else inside of the team. Uh, so I, I may be the, uh, and I'm sorry to everybody who has seen me, I may be the public face, right? I, I have a face made for radio, but uh, it's not it's not just me. Fair enough, fair enough. So, Garrett, are you going to be at Insight? Are you going to be doing anything around DevOps for Insight, possibly? I am not going to be at Insight, and I can't tell you why. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the other part about being a TD that I hear is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I guess you're gonna, Sully, you're gonna have to hold the fort down for uh, Insight for when it comes to DevOps. Are you gonna be doing anything around DevOps for Insight, Sully? So I will not have anything DevOps related, but I do have a container session. So I will absolutely be talking about uh, a lot of the really good work that's been happening uh, inside of our team, as well as uh, kind of a high level overview of containers, right? So kind of start high and work our way low. Um, but I am available. If I'm not speaking in a session, please, anybody, walk up to me, right? Ask to talk about VMware automation, ask to talk about containers, ask to talk about any of the other, I don't know, 100 or so things that I that I have uh, been tagged with. So sure. please. Quick, what does Barnacle stand for? It's an acronym? It's a, it, it is. It is an acronym. I don't know off the top of my head. We have it on a wiki page. I, I could tell you. Hold on. Brewing, augmenting, and regulating NetApp's approach to the container living ecosystem. Wow. That's wow. impressive. Yeah. 
that is impressive. That's pretty cool. That's why. That's why Garrett's a TD. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. By the way, I love <laughs> mostly the fact, naming things. I love the fact that the first word in there is brewing. Yeah, of course, it's on tap. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, are you on Twitter? No. Okay. I mean, technically, I am, but I mean, it's such a a, a minuscule presence that I might as well just say no. I am following you guys now. I have started listening to the podcast. It's pretty awesome. Cool. Not, I'm not just saying that because I'm on it now. So, 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 okay. So we can't screw around anymore. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I keep I keep going through this. Like I, I I keep sending these guys messages. Like uh like three weeks ago, I out of nowhere, Tom Mendoza followed me, mm. and I took a screenshot. I was no, <laughs> nothing good can come of this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. And by the way, the, the, the dailies you guys did last week with VMworld, those were pretty awesome, right. actually. That was great for me because I got to, you know, check in on what Sully was up to because he was, you know, falling asleep directly after VMworld, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, we, we did get a lot of praise for the for the recaps. I'm really uh, – so thanks for the folks that did send uh, – did your homework and did actually email us. We got several emails around that, some very specific emails around how to even make it better, like, you know, getting some real customers involved and stuff like that. So very cool, and we appreciate all the emails. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, you know, we didn't get any any negative stuff, and there's no way that we hit a home run. Right. There has to be some complaints. So so give me your gripes, right? We're, we got thick skin. We want this to be awesome. Uh, the only way that it gets awesome is by continuously making it a little bit better. we got to know where the faults are. So make sure you reach out and let us know what works and what doesn't work. Yep. Reminder, send those emails to podcast at netup.com and keep those greetings coming to me via Twitter for Glenn. All right, Garrett, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you on a future episode. But until then, keep up all the good work. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah, I have to get you back on here and you know, talk about some SMB, SMB stuff. You know, like auto, sure. Auto Give me the sips. Yeah. Just kidding, Microsoft guys. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> yes and no, right? I mean, this is, this is that oh, here nonsense. We go. Oh, here no, we go. This I is, started that on purpose. What have you done? <laughs> it's the same darn thing. It, fundamentally, it, it is. But you say SIFs in, in 2015, and people are like, oh, it's evil. Okay, yes, yes. Let's go back to 1999 and SIFs and in it, but whatever. Right at, Listen, th- at this point, to be fair, didn't NFS come out of like the 1970s? Justin Parisi told me it was the same. I'm going by what he said. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so, if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netup.com. Follow us on Twitter at NetUp or subscribe to the podcast from iTunes and SoundCloud at Tech on Tap. And until next week, bye for now. So I fixed my computer. Again? Is it yeah. broke again? No, 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 no. It's it's rocking now. Like it's it's working better than it's worked in years. What'd you do? I completely deleted everything and started over. What so, a Windows way to do it. So yeah. what you're saying is Windows needed to be reloaded. Yes, what I'm saying <laughs> is maybe not upgrade to Windows 10, maybe do a clean install. Because on a clean install, it's is awesome. It just me that's I told you that I was forced into doing oh, a clean yeah. install, I may have forgotten the bits key when did a BIOS update. Did you oh, automate yeah, the process? Yeah, no, that's, that's bad. Yeah. Oops. <laughs>